other name under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other way except by the way of that cross. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's coming a day when you're going to stand before God, and the thing that's going to matter more than anything else in this world is this. Are you saved? Or are you lost? You should get saved first because getting saved is the only power in the whole wide world, in all the universe, that can blot out your sins and can wash your soul whiter than snow. Yeah. Turn it down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, so excited. Hey, I'm sorry that your preacher's so short. Can y'all see me behind this pulpit? <laughs> David was a wee little man, but God had big plans for him, so I should have had y'all give me a step stool so I could stand like this, but I'm sorry that God made me this way, but however, he does say that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and so I just claim that. Hey, uh, man, did y'all enjoy worship this morning? That was good, right? <laughs> I want, to, I want to thank the worship team for, uh, for that. I want to thank our production team for putting a good sound together. And, you know, it takes a lot of things to make church happen here. I don't know if you realize there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle that um, it takes to, to make things happen. So we are in this throwback Sunday service. And um, when I think about kind of a throwback church, I actually went to some local churches here. I'm just a, a small-town guy here, and I can remember when I think of, like, you know, when I, when I say throwback, I mean kind of like old schools I'm talking about. And I, I think of those fiery preachers that wore suits and ties and, you know, they're screaming, their faces getting blood red, and they're, you know, the hacking ones, the hack. You want me, you want me to demonstrate what I'm talking about? I ain't making fun of no preachers up in here. Y'all are crazy. But that's what I'm talking about, the old big tent revivals. Uh, we went on, I went on a mission trip to Kentucky a couple years ago uh, to just to help a local church there, and they had the, simultaneously this big tent revival going on, and it's just awesome. Hotter and fire outside, you know what I mean? You know, your preacher's wearing like a three-piece suit, and you're thinking, good Lord, man, I know you love Jesus, but you can wear a short sleeve shirt if you want to. Just that hot, you know, we're going to give you grace. And, um, and so we wanted, what we wanted to do today was just kind of go back to our grassroots, because listen, if you've been here last week or if you come back next week, just we're a little bit more modern than that than what we've done today. However, we're not above it because this is our grassroots. This is our culture. Uh, just this, this throwback style service for most people. Now, I know if you've not grew up in church or been in church, then you may be walking in here thinking, this is exactly why I didn't go to church when I was younger. However, I think that God's got a good word for all of us today. And, and what I want to talk about this morning is that I want to wrestle with this tension of, am I really saved? When I think of like evangelists back in, in throwback services, then basically what you saw, Billy Graham, Adrian Rogers, getting saved, you know, you should know Jesus. I love the one, the one preacher said, you should get saved, and he's got, got, kind of got that lisp a little bit, you should get saved first, as if like there's anything else to do, you know, they just, they're pushing, knowing Jesus, and that's what we're talking about this morning. So here's, here's who this message is for this morning. If you're in here and you know Jesus, I want to help give you confirmation of your salvation. If you're here this morning and you would say, hey, I'm not really a Christian. I'm not even sure what I think about all these things. I want to tell you how you can experience the salvation. So it's really for everybody in here this morning. And I want you to know this, that 
the direction we're going this morning is fairly simple, but I'm going to take a unique approach to it. I really want to answer those two questions. Is If I am saved, then what's next? If I'm not saved, how do I get saved? And, and the bottom line for this message is you are a Christian by decision, not by default. The bottom line, the first slide. You are a Christian by decision, not by default. And basically what I mean by that is just because one of the thoughts that we have here in our culture is that uh, well, my daddy was a deacon, or I grew up in church, or I prayed a prayer when I was a young kid, or I went to VBS, or some even I've been baptized, and I've like I don't want to be that on your toes this morning, but are you really saved because of an experience, or are you? What makes a person saved anyway? I mean, what does the Bible say about it? And I want you to know this. You are a Christian by a decision. It is not by default. Not because you grew up in America. Not because you live in the Bible Belt. Hey, not because you're here this morning. This should be a sign, but this does not make you one. And so, you, as we dive into this, you must understand that everything that is following Christ is about making a decision. It's not by default. And let me show you what I'm talking about. This is 1 John 3, the first part of verse 10. John says this. He says, this is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. So right off the roof, we see this. There are God's children and the devil's children. I'm not talking about the kids back in the nursery. (laughs) Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. I'll never tell you, though. So it's important that we understand this. So, so God has children and the devil has children. Well, have you ever heard somebody say this, and I know what their intention behind it is, is, God is the father of all. We're all God's children. You heard that? What if I told you that's not true, actually? Now, before some of you are like, whoa, buddy, what are you getting at here? Let's look at what the text says, really. It says, this is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. There's clearly... He's telling us there are two types. Let me tell you how this can be, that we're all not children of God. We are all created by God. By God. But we are not all children of God. Example, I've shared this before. My biological, paternal father, if you will, for the sake of, Steve Wills. God rest his soul, no longer alive. But my whole life growing up, I never knew him. He chose alcohol and basically women over me. I've got six other sisters. One's like six months apart from me. He's a busy man. You know what I'm talking about? Just a busy man. It's all good. I'm cool with it. So don't, this isn't like awkward. This isn't like, it's kind of like a therapeutic therapeutic session for me. Now I moved past a long time ago, forgived him, believe that his soul's in heaven from what I hear from a preacher of mine. So maybe one day I will see him again, hopefully. But Steve Wills, he created me, if you will, with my mother, but he was not my father. Are you with me? The same is true with God in heaven. He created you, but you must become his child by decision, not by default. Like, you're not entitled to be his child just because you think you're a good person. You're not a child of God just because you have a little faith, though you should have faith if you're a child of God. Are you with me? So it's important that we understand this. There there are two types. There are two types. 
You must make a decision to be with Jesus, to be His child. This is John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, But to all who did receive Him, Jesus, He gave them the right to be the children of God, to those who believe in His name. So you need to know this morning, the tension is this, is if you want to become a Christ follower, you've got to make a decision, Samantha. It's not by default. A thought process isn't good enough. You're going to see in a little bit. You've got to take action. So, to all who did receive him, because salvation is for everyone, right? Everyone. Your neighbor who makes you mad, the person who cuts you off going down the interstate, and you want to give them the number one sign, your crazy in-laws. Salvation is for everyone, but you must receive it. You must receive it, and it is then and only then that you are given the right to call yourself a child of God. And I say this not to be mean or like a pessimist, but some people out there need to quit calling themselves a child of God. Right? And some of you who are need to step into the identity and recognize you're a co-heir to the throne, and you need to walk around with some boldness, lift your face up a little bit, walk in confidence. So what does that mean for those who are the devil's child? Salvation is available to you, but you must understand this, that there has to be a decision made. The psalmist said, David said, Surely I was born sinful from my mother's womb. First John five nineteen talks about in the New Testament how the world is under the sway of the evil one. Let me give you an illustration of what it means to be born with sin into the sway of the evil one. How many have children? Old, young, doesn't matter. A lot of you. When your child is little, do you have to teach them to tell the truth? Do you have to teach them to lie? Why do you suppose that is? Because the world is under the sway of the evil one. We come born into that. A couple weeks ago, or maybe this has been a couple months ago now, Lord, I can't remember, but um, I think I've even shared this with you. My wife and I, we've got a three-and-a-half-year-old little girl and a uh, six-month-old, seven-month-old little boy. And our little girl, she's kind of at that stage now to where, like, you can kind of let her go into a room by herself. Like, you know, thank you, Jesus, finally. We don't have to, like, get up and do everything she does. But then we pay the price when we don't because we have to clean up some kind of mess. So it's kind of give or take. But a couple, couple months ago, she went to the kitchen. Errol and I were sitting on the, uh, living, in the living room watching TV. And Harper comes in there, and she's got, like, chocolate all over her. I think, yeah, I've shared this. Chocolate all over her face. All over her face. And I'm like, I said, Harper, have you been needing something? And she said, uh-uh. <laughs> I said, really? Are you sure? Uh-uh. See, we laugh. But she's naturally doing that because the sway of the world is under the evil one. That's why it's so important that we teach our children. We raise them in a godly home. You don't have to teach them to lie, but you have to teach them to tell the truth. What I'm telling you this morning is, by default, you fall into the sway. By decision, you become a co-heir to the throne. You become a co-heir to the throne So we must look no further than Jesus when it comes to the decision we're going to make. I want you, this this is pretty, this is pretty interesting scripture right here. This is 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. 
It says, this is how we come to know love. So if we're to teach truth, to teach love, then how do we experience it? This is how we come to know love. He, Jesus, laid down his life for us. Listen to this, Christians. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. Hmm. Verse 17. And this is the, the context here is Christians, okay? So if any Christian has the world's goods, you've been blessed with a good job, and sees his brother or sister in need, but closes his eye to his need, how can God's love reside in him? How, after experiencing the truth and making a decision to follow Christ, when you see someone in need, can you turn your back? And this author would say this, how can God's love be in you, if that were so? Faith, how can that be? Verse 18. He's talking to the church here. He says, Little children, we must not love in word or speech, but in truth and action. See, a better, I don't want to say better, because I don't have the authority to speak like that, but what I do have the authority to say is a greater understanding of the Scripture would be that little children, we must not just love with word or speech but with truth and action. Certainly, you've got to speak the truth, but you've got to live it in action. So you are cross-follower by decision, not by default. You must live out what you proclaim, as they just had on the screen there. A proclamation without a demonstration is meaningless. Right? It's both in, Allison. You've got to speak it, and you've got to live it out. It's not enough just to say it, though you should be saying it. You should be living it out. You should be living a life if you are really saved. What I mean, and let's just clarify what I mean by that. I don't mean some prayer you prayed as a child. I mean you're, you are, your identity is in Christ. You have repented of your sins. You have asked him to come into you. You may not even understand what all that means. And that's okay. But you believe that Jesus died on the cross? And so you must speak it and you must live it. A proclamation without a demonstration is meaningless. It's got to be both in. And somebody said something like, I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are so loud. I don't even know if I really like that. I think it's okay. It's a pretty good statement, I guess, if it would like benefit me in an argument. But other than that, I don't know. You've got to speak it and live it. And so I want to share, I want to just kind of go for a moment here about what this looks like for us as a church to, to speak truth and to live it out in action. James says, I get the lights, James says that basically he says a faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. That's what James says in the New Testament. So what does it mean to live out our faith? At City Lights, we are committed to living out our faith. And from day one, we've said that we would be a church that lives out bold faith. A couple months ago, church, I, I, I shared a message where we, be, we began to speak about what God would do this fall. I'm fixing to get off on a rabbit trail, so if any of y'all are like, where's this going, okay? So we're here, we're going to go here, Bring us back, then we'll go home and out to eat, okay? And we're good on time, too, so. A couple months ago, I began to preach a message about asking, asking our church family, those of you who call this your home, to pray a sun stand still prayer like Joshua did. And what I mean by that is that we would begin praying such audacious and bold prayers that if God didn't show up in this ministry, we would fail miserably. 
And I'm speaking on the context of when, when John just told these, the, the church, he said, listen, you got to speak it, but you got to live it out in action. And the reality is if you know Christ, you are a Christ follower, you are saved, you will live in action. So I want to tell you what that looks like for this church. About eight weeks ago, I began to experience what I can only call a holy discontent. I've experienced it one other time in my life, and that was when God gave me the desire to church plant. And so let me describe what a holy discontent is. There's discontent, but it's holy. And what I mean is like my marriage is good. My kids are healthy. My bills are paid. We went out to Chili's the other night. It was great. I'm making new friends. I feel the presence of God on my life. But there's this holy discontent inside me. And what it means is that I'm just not satisfied. You know what I mean? And it's not that I'm complaining. But then what I recognized was that that holy discontent was for this body right here. For City Lights Church. And so I began to ask God, what does this mean? What does this look like? And I'm telling you, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. If you're, if you're really saved, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you don't, it's okay. I'm not trying to single you out. But I was, I've been in a, a Holy Spirit wreck the past 72 hours. You can ask my wife, you can ask some of the people I've called and talked to. A Holy Spirit wreck. Because I know we're coming up on, on about, in about three weeks celebrating a year as a church, which is an incredible thing, incredible thing for us. We'll celebrate a year and we've seen God do a lot of cool things. You got to hear what Jamie said this morning. But I, I begin looking to say, okay, God, what's next for us? What's next for this body? Because from day one we've said we're going to live out a bold faith here. We don't need, our city doesn't need, you don't need, our county doesn't need, East Tennessee does not need, Tennessee does not need, America, our nation does not need just another church. Right? We need a movement, a spiritual movement of biblical proportion. And God began to stir in this young pastor's heart a glimpse of what the next step is for us to achieve that. And we've said from day one, hey, this is how things are for us. This is the way they are. This is the why they are. This is the what. But we are seeking Jesus. And so as I begin to pray and seek God and think about what's next, God just begin to make a way for our circumstances to change here at the church. And so as I began to pray and pursue it, I reached out to my elder board, though I want you to know this, they don't really have the authority to make the decision that I'm fixing to tell you about. I felt like it should have been made internally, and so I spoke with our leadership team here, and we began to talk about what does the future look like for us? What, what is gonna, what's going to advance God's kingdom and get us to our vision is to start churches that start churches that sends other people out. It's not about seeding capacity. You've heard us say this. It's about sending capacity. How do we multiply? And we begin praying. And so last week, we made a decision that on September 13th, we will begin meeting at Clinton High School permanently there. Yeah, celebrate. I mean, yeah, I know some of you are like, What? And let me tell you why that's important. And, and, and some of you are thinking, why are we going to another school? Why aren't we getting our own building? 
First off, do you know how much real estate is available in Clinton? Okay, not a lot. But we believe God will give that in time. We do. But this facility down there at Clinton, let me tell you why I believe this is going to advance God's kingdom. It's going to allow us to reach families better. Everybody who has kids, raise your hands. Everybody that has kids back in city kids right now, raise your hands. We are going to have a better environment down there to reach your children. It's going to be more intimate, less distractions for the kids to focus on their teachers, less distractions for the teachers to focus on their students. The auditorium is going to force more intimacy for us to have community, which is what we want. And I say this, and it's not negative, but it's what our church is missing. Community. If you just come in here at 1030, you're not going to get connected to anybody. I know if you're a first-time guest, you're like, he's stepping on my toes, he's mean, but I'm not talking to you, but I really am talking to you. I'm talking to everybody. So we feel like this, this place down here is going to, it's a, it's the, honestly, the facility is upgraded. I want to say this, and I am being recorded, so I swear under oath, Girl Scout honor, Boy Scout, and all that. We have a great relationship here with this high school. Nothing has changed. We've not burnt them. They've not burnt us. I went to the uh, school board meeting Thursday for this to be approved, and I sat there with Dr. Andrea Russell. We laughed and talked about some things. We have a great relationship here. But I just believe that moving, taking this next step, is going to benefit those of us who are on mission to multiply. Now, here's the thing. Simultaneously, I swear to you, I'm fixing to, I mean, honestly, y'all don't even know what's fixing to happen inside me right now. Friday, we signed a lease for office space in downtown Clinton. Yeah. And let me tell you what's really cool about that. It's literally, it's right in downtown Clinton. It's across from the courthouse on Liner Street. It's a shared building. You know, there's just not a lot of opportunities in Clinton, but God just began to work these things out. We're like, okay, hey, we'll go with you. We'll go with you. We signed the lease, and it's a shared building with a couple different offices, but one of them is the AAA Bell Bonds Company. You know what I'm talking about? So we're going to create a slogan that says, get out of jail, get out of hell. (laughs) So after you go pay your bail bondsman, you can come on back and see the preacher, and we'll lead you to Jesus. Amen? (laughs) Here's church where it kind of gets tight, though, okay? I've not forgot about the message. I've got some more to preach, but I wanted to share some stuff with you. What happened was this, okay? And I'm just, I want to be really honest with you guys and transparent. When we went for the school, before, when I went for the school board meeting, it got approved like this, no problem. We're just finding God's favor on this, no problem. What happened, though, was this. The county has been under an energy-saving contract for the past 14 months, basically. It started, like, right when we began meeting here. And what that means is every time school's not in session, it costs them money to run it, i.e., on days like today. Well, when I went before the meeting, they got it approved, no problem. I went to sign an MOU, which is a Memorandum of Understanding. And they now know how much it's going to cost every school. And now we have to occur that responsibility. And it's not because we're moving to Clinton. It wouldn't matter if we stayed here, made it Norris Elementary, Oliver Springs. It does not matter. Any school system in the county is under this. And so what that's done, church, is this. Basically, for the rent alone, it has more than doubled what we will pay on any given Sunday. And I'm, can I just be real honest with you, as opposed to lying like I would, but this office space, and I'm just going to tell you the truth, we are getting, I think, a good deal on it. 
It's, we're, we're paying $600 a month, utilities included. We're going to need Comcast Internet or AT&T. I don't want to step on anybody's feelings. I probably shouldn't have said that. Somebody's going to get mad. So call it 650, 660. So what's happened is this. Basically, church, we are fixing to add $1,500 a month of expenditures to our budget. And this is, I was in a wreck the past 72 hours because I have a responsibility. I don't know if y'all can understand this, but hear my heart if you can and just try to. I have a responsibility to lead this church in a way that's pleasing to God. Whether you like it or not, I'm more scared of God than I am you, okay? And so as I thought about this debt, I began thinking, okay, what does this look like for us? Is this even a smart decision? Because let me tell you, there's, there's two things that happen when you have to make a decision like that. There's the practicality side and there's the spirituality. And the practicality is this. Let's say, church, that we had $4,500 worth of expenses every single month. That's everything. That's salaries. That's, you know, connection cards, rent, Facebook ads, everything. And our offerings were only $3,800 a month. And I came to our leadership team and said, hey, I've received a word from the Lord. We need to add $1,500 worth of debt to our church. Now listen, no matter if I said God told me to do that, somebody should punch me in the face and say, no, let's just wait a little minute. Let's just hold off a minute here. Those numbers don't really match. But let's flip the script on that church and say this. Let's say that on a good month, your generosity gives us $6,000. And we add $1,500 of expenditures, and that puts us right at the line. Let's also say this. I'm just being like really honest. I didn't think I was going to be this honest with you. Not that I was going to be deceptive. I just said, no, you know, you don't know. You just got to go with the Spirit. Also adding to the equation, because you, every week we pray, and I pray over this offering, God help our leadership team to be good stewards. For those who are giving, or we have your address. We sent you a mid-year giving statement. We tell you where the money goes. We don't hide anything here. We tell you, we, we try to be as transparent as possible. Let me say this. I believe that occurring this expenditure is worth it. And let me tell you why. Moving facilities is not going to cause us to grow. Am I stepping on the lights again? Making them flash? It's not going to cause us to grow. But what will happen is this. I'm fixing to share some things that are, are big in my opinion. We are almost there. Right now in our bank, we have almost... 30 days of expenditures saved up, not including what you gave today or the next two offerings for the month. Does that make sense? I'm just wanting to be honest with you guys, let you know where we're at. That we, when we say, God help us be good stewards, we try to be good stewards. We don't just spend it on crazy things. However, we think Master Donuts is a good investment. Amen? <laughs> so, we try to be good stewards of the, our money. So, me making this decision based upon what I believe God has given me, the vision as the pastor of this church, and also confirmation from our leadership team is, hey, okay, we're tight. We add this on. We're going to be tight. But let me tell you why it's worth it. Let me tell you why it's worth taking the risk and adding this expenditure. Because 
Success will cause you to become complacent. And I'll be honest with you. You look around here and you see a church server this morning, but this young pastor sees a promise from God that he would build his kingdom if we would step out in faith. So what I see is God moving, and really there's this thought in my mind that just says, no turning back. We will go, and I am willing to risk it. I am willing to risk our church falling flat on our face. Two things I believe when it comes to stepping out in faith is that when we step off the cliff and we fall, God will catch us in his loving arms, or he will teach us how to fly. I believe that he's fixing to teach us how to fly. What's going to happen is this. Starting next week, we're going to start a series that's called This Changes Everything. And I'm telling you, church, listen to me today. If you're a first-time guest, you need to know this. Today is a turning point for City Lights Church. Something's going to happen today moving forward. And we may look back three months from now. There goes the spit. And we may look back three years from now. But today we will say, okay, God, we saw your hand on that. We're going to step out in faith. And so another question that God brought up was, okay, why should we, we understand the move. We understand that we can't help the rent doubling, but why should we occur this extra office, you know, space and rent? Well, let me tell you something. We signed the lease Friday morning. Our band rehearsed there last night. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're going to use it. It gives us an opportunity to be in the center of our city to minister to a community who needs Jesus, it's going to allow for leadership meetings there. It's going to allow for counseling to happen there. Our children's director, uh, Leslie Allen and, and Cindy, some of our other leaders, they use their work to print stuff off. I hope nobody from your work listens to our podcast and be like, hey, you owe us money now. But it's going to give us a place to work out of. It's going to give us a place to minister to. And listen, it's t- in, f- in terms of vision, it's a, n- it's a permanent location in our city to show people what I said last year is that, hey, we're b- going to be established. We're going to be around for a little while. We're going to make a difference. We're not going to fade out. We're going to press on. We're going to reach people far from God so that they can be raised to life in Christ. And we need it. We've got it. So here's what happens. It's a big risk. It's a big risk, and I'm anxious, but I know that our God is bigger than the risk we're taking. And I believe he's going to provide for us. And this is, what's going to, this is something that I want to share with you. That I, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you, church. I want to challenge you. God, I want to challenge you. I believe that when we meet down there on September 13th, we'll celebrate one year here, September 6th. We'll move the following Sunday. The city is fixing to be flipped for his glory. It is being flipped. And here's how I want you to be a part of it. Some of you, and I don't mean this negatively, I'm just fired up, okay? So I'm kind of like the old grandpa who says stuff but doesn't really mean the way it comes out, Okay. Some of you are just, you're here and you're sitting on the sidelines. And that's okay in terms of figuring out, is this for you? Do you, is this? But here's what we want to happen. In the next four weeks, we need 20 more volunteers to sign up for what we believe God's going to do down there. And let me tell you what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm talking about, will you sit and watch babies one Sunday a month? Will you do that? Will you sacrifice something you love for something you love more? And that is to see God's kingdom grow. What I'm challenging you to be a part of is something that's bigger than the life you're living right now. Will you hold a door so nobody has to open it when they come in? Will you be one of these mean seat greeters that tells people where to sit? Will you get on board? I'm talking 20 people. Let me tell you what's crazy about that is we use this online app that tells every position. And I think we had like 27 volunteers today. We want our volunteer team to double in the next four weeks. Let me tell you something else that I want us to do. I want to promote this thing so big 
then I'm challenging our church to give an additional $2,000 on top of our budget to help us promote for this. T-shirts, banners, I want to do, just I'm talking all out, flood this community with what God's going to do. And so what I know is this, there's some of you here who are sitting on the sideline and you say, you know what, I can give you one Sunday a month. I can do that. There's some of you here who are, who've been blessed financially and you can say, you know what, I'm gonna, I want to be a part of this vision. I'm going to give. I'm going to give up something I love for something I love more. And we need it in the next four weeks to make it happen. I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be a part of something that's bigger than the life you're currently living. And what I know to be true is this, is that we serve a God who is faithful. He is faithful. And he will see us through this. And I'll tell you, listen, if you'll step up, it will happen. Do you believe me? Do you believe that we can make it happen? I want you to remember this Sunday, one, because I think it's a good Sunday. But two, because this is the day that God sparked something in this church. And I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of what God is fixing to do. And someday we will look back and we will say, when we met in that high school auditorium, when we moved to that when God did something so big that only he could get the glory for it. Will you, will you join me in it? Let me share a couple of scriptures with you real quick about... All right, if we're saved, what we're looking for is we're looking for workers, is what I'm talking about. That's how I was trying to tie all this in, but I got caught up, okay? We're looking for workers. I want to share some really interesting scripture with you. So how do we know then if, listen, if we are, if our church is going to promote the gospel salvation, we must live in action. For us personally, if we're saved, how does that mean that we can be a part of this vision to move to Clinton? To have this office space. This is Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Hang with me, church. So it says, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Verse 58. I love this, but there's a contrast here. He says, I'll do this. And then Jesus says, but. So he's fixing the contrast. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. I want to talk to you just for a minute about destination over location. One of the biggest pushbacks we get oftentimes is, well, where's your building, brother Peyton? Where's your building? And right here is the temple of God. Right here sits the people. It's about where we're going. It's not about where we're at per se. So when we move to Clinton, it's not about the location, but it presses us on towards the destination. And for those who are really saved, one day we will spend eternity with Christ in heaven. And you won't have mine one bit sitting up some pop and drape for a couple hours on a Sunday. Come on, somebody. You, you won't. It's about the destination, not the location. Jesus tells us, man, hey, listen, I know you say you want to follow me. How many of you know that people that, are, that say they're saved, what they want to do is... They want Jesus on their own circumstances. Like, I would be a part of this church if you had this. I would be a part of this if you weren't so crazy. That's not going to change. The older I get, the crazier I get. The more abrasive I get. We want Jesus on our own circumstances. When you are saved, when you know Jesus, you will be prepared. You should be prepared to have a relationship with him that's going to lead you to the unknown and a bunch of uncertainties. I love how Jesus tells us, man, basically, he says, hey, if you're coming with me, you need to know that the location has some uncertainties. Today, we're moving forward with some uncertainty about our location, but we know where the destiny is. We know where the prize is. 
We know that Clinton High School, that this office space is just a step along the way to the journey. It's not a means to an end. I'm asking you to be a part of it with me, church. Can I tell you something else that's pretty cool? You don't have an option. I've got the microphone, so... uh... This ain't even, it's not even about a geographical location because truthfully the high school is like five minutes that way. So it's not that we want to reach a different part of the community. And let me show you what I'm talking about. How many of you in here this morning do not live in the city of Clinton? Raise your hand. Aren't you glad that God's doing something regional? If you're, listen, I'm not going to do that, but let me tell you that there's people that live in Sevier County that come here. There's people that live in Scott County that come here. There's people that live in Knox County that come here. God's doing something bigger than this little city. What I want to say, and I mean it's very humbling, is like this is almost becoming our Jerusalem where people are just coming from afar to gather and then you scatter and you go back and take it with you where you live, work, and play. It's not about the location. It's about the destination. Jesus tells this man, hey, there's going to be some uncertainties. There's going to be times in your life when you don't like the location, you don't understand it, but it's about where you're going. Jesus is telling you this morning, hey, if you're really saved, you better be prepared for the unknown. Verse 59, he said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, contrast, but first let me take a selfie. He said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Verse 60, but Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. I want to talk with you just for a minute about missions over maintenance. Churches filled with a lot of maintenance-minded people these days. This man basically says, hey, and you need to notice, in the original text, it's not even suggestive that this man's father is dead yet. So what he's saying is, hey, let me go over here and perform some maintenance. Let me have this relationship. I want to be with you, but... And Jesus says, listen, you've got to get over the maintenance in your life. You've got to be missionally driven. You've got to be, Jesus said, your duty, if you're really saved, your duty is you'll be sharing your faith and you won't have an excuse. I don't know how to do it. I don't get an opportunity. We're fixing to start a discipleship group here in about three weeks. That meets twice a month where we teach people how to have spiritual conversations, where we teach people how to share their faith, how we teach people to just walk across the room. Because if you're really saved, you'll do these things. And this isn't, listen, it'd be really easy for me to be Lloyd Legalist right now and tell you how ABCDEFG, but we're just letting Jesus answer what it means if you're really saved. You know that Jesus, he wants you to be mission-minded at this church. And this is why, like, on the front end, we've been so hardcore about, okay, hey, listen, we're not ready for this program. We're not ready for that. God knows that we want these things. But we have to stay focused on the mission and believe that in time it will happen. It will happen. Some things are happening this month. Some of the very things that you've been asking for are starting this month. God, please don't let this sound insensitive. I feel like I just need to share it with you. My job as the pastor is not to perform maintenance on your life, put another Band-Aid on a bullet hole. My job is to be about the Father's business, Luke 2.49, and lead this church to be missions-minded. And I understand about needs and preferences, 
but there's something bigger here. Our duty is to preach and share the gospel, the kingdom of God. Will you join me in being missions-minded and not maintenance-minded? You could say it like this. Maintenance-minded Christians, the answer to all your problems is behavior modification. A missions-minded Christian, the answer to all your problems is heart transformation. We're not modifying behavior here. We're asking God to change our hearts. As we continue on, verse 61, another said, Yes, Lord, I'll follow you, but first, let me take a selfie. Let me say goodbye to my family, verse 62, Jesus contrast, but Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. The last thing I want to talk to you about is looking for laborers. Looking for laborers. I love the analogy that Jesus uses here. Basically, he says, hey, if you call yourself a Christian and you put your hand to the work and then you complain and kind of look back at what you used to have, Jesus says, it's not me. You're not really fit for the kingdom of God. Because it's work. It's work. When Jesus mentions this word, plow, it makes me think of a farmer. It reminds me of how hard farmers work. I had this friend, God bless you, David, if you should somehow listen to this podcast. David Wright, when I was a young kid, uh, he lived going down Charles Sievers Boulevard, right there before he crossed Veterans Bridge over the Clinch. I think it's called Lou Allen Road. He goes up there to the right. Um, and his dad was a farmer, <clears throat> and he worked so hard. And I can remember growing up and seeing him, you know, work his cattle. And I can remember, you know, after he would, he would plant all these seeds, that he would reap his harvest. He was a farmer, and you know he put his hand to the plow, and he knew what he had to do, and he would he would reap the harvest when he when he worked hard. And I think so. You think of farmers, you think of this harvest and laborers, and it reminds me of something that. And just the next two verses of chapter ten, we just read the very end of chapter nine. Jesus says something pretty amazing right here in Luke ten. He says, "The Lord now chose seventy-two other disciples." See, Jesus had more than just the 12. It just started there. See, this morning we've started here, but we want to go there. The 12 started this, and I'm asking the 72 to go help us do that. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples, and He sent them because when you are really saved, you will be sent. You've been called to send. You've been called to go. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and the places he planned to visit. Can I be honest with you? I think God is fixing to send us to a place that he wants to visit down in our city. I think we're fixing to experience something down there where God is sending us and he's saying, hey, not only am I coming, I'm there already. You just step into the anointing of what I'm doing in your church. And he wants to send us out. I'm asking, will you go with us? Verse 2. I love this. Luke says, these were his instructions to them, to you, if you're really saved, the church. The harvest, those who need people, those who need God, those who need Jesus, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest, because listen, he's not the father of all, but he is the creator of all. He's in charge. And ask him to send more workers into his fields. This morning, I got up and prayed and asked God, would you bring more laborers here this morning? 
that'll join us on this mission, that'll flip this city, that will be a part of something greater than the life they're living. And so I know this, if you're here and you want to know, how am I really saved? You'll be a worker, ultimately living out in action the faith that you speak. There's a great work, church, to be done for God's kingdom. But he needs more laborers. So, how do I know if I'm saved? You'll have a desire to be a laborer, to do your part. What if I'm not saved, though? I'm going to ask everybody in here, to just to bow your head and close your eyes and this is not because of a dominational thing. This doesn't make you more spiritual. This is out of respect for those who are beside you. And church, I'm going to call you. I'm going to call you to action. But first, for those who sit out here this morning, you say, you know what? I mean, I think that I have a relationship with Jesus, but I really don't know. I based it off some experience I had 10 years ago, and I'm not calling you to doubt that, but what I'm telling you to do is to to make sure today that you're saved, that you know Jesus, that you start a relationship with Him. And you should know this. It's based off a decision that starts now but lasts a lifetime. And so, church, I'm going to ask you something, and I just want you to be really honest. If you're here this morning, and you would say something to this effect you add or take away from it. I really don't have a true, true relationship with Jesus. If what's expected of me is what was just read about my destiny over my preference of location, about being mission-minded, and about being a laborer. If that's what God expects of me, I want that, but I don't have that, and I want to make that decision to follow Him today. If that's you, and you would say for the first time in your life, or you would say for sure today you are committing yourself to follow Jesus, would you just raise your hand slowly? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Hands up all overwhere. Everywhere. God bless you. Lord, Holy Spirit, anoint this moment. Testify with their spirit, Father, that they are your child. That, God, they are created by you, but you are their Father. So for those of you who raised your hand, seven of you, raise your hand. Church family, you just agree with me as we pray this. You pray this in your own way. Do not repeat after me something to the effect of this. Make this decision. Jesus, I acknowledge my need for you. I acknowledge that what you did on the cross was for the forgiveness of my sins. Today I commit myself to following you and becoming a, bra- a greater laborer for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church, look up. Can we just celebrate the seven people who made that commitment today? Can we celebrate that? Can we get happy? I mean, if you were at a UT football game and they scored, you'd be jumping up and down. Let's celebrate again what God just did here. Hey. I love this, church. One last thing for you. I'm out of time and I got to go, but I want to share one last thing with you. Will you just stand on your feet with me real quick? Jesus is at the center of what we're doing here this, this morning. The future. If you are really saved, what I'm asking you is, not from a legal standpoint, but from a missions mind, will you join us on mission? 
Will you sacrifice something you love for something you love more? Will you sign up next week to be one of the 20? Will you give generously so we can reach the $2,000? And hey, will you start bringing somebody with you? We're going to start a series next week called This Changes Everything. And I'm not saying this to boast, just because the anointing of God, I'm going to teach a message on how Jesus turned the water into the wine and it will flip your mind. I'm serious, it flipped my own mind. It's flipping my own mind right now thinking about it. Don't miss it. Do not miss it. What I love about this is this. When you decide to follow Jesus in that moment, it lasts a lifetime, but you are changed instantly. Amen? You are changed. It does not mean things get perfect. Jamie said it, but they get better. As Jesus was up on the cross, in Luke 23, can we pull that up? Luke 23, Jesus is hanging between two criminals, and he said, one of the criminals said, then he said to Jesus, as they're dying, church, you're, you're, we're dying without him. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know this part where he's hanging between the criminals and he's fixing to give his last breath. So for the seven people who just said, I accept him as my savior, we ought to celebrate it again that he said, hey, remember me. I am one of these people. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And look what Jesus said to him in verse 43. And Jesus replied, I assure you, say this with me, today. Say it one more time. I assure you that today. Say it one more time louder. I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. Church, I believe that we are setting forth for something that you've never seen before. And today, for those who made that decision, for eternity, for those who've already made it, we will be in paradise with Jesus. Can you just celebrate him this morning? Can you celebrate him? this morning. Nothing.